This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. I am and will likely always be a diehard sentimentalist. I still own many of the books of my childhood, the first sports medal I won in fourth grade for the three-legged race, an old empty Band-Aid tin, and letters from my first love in junior high school. My friends sometimes accuse me of hero worship, and somehow I attribute this trait to my sentimentalism as I believe that I collect and admire images and artifacts and memorabilia from the defining moments in my life, ideas and experiences that provoke and move me, and, well, things I just want near me as amulets of inspiration. These very same friends are mildly perplexed at my curious intrigue of popular culture and its inherent and often opposing dichotomies. I've been analyzing this seamy worship of mine and seeking to understand its origin in my psyche. I remember anxiously awaiting my favorite Friday night television shows as my infatuation flitted from David Cassidy and the Partridge family to Lee Majors and the Six Million Dollar Man. Digging deeper, I remember only once kissing the television when Mr. Rogers came on, but I was only seven listeners. I remember being obsessed with Marsha Brady and Olivia Newton-John and the New York Ranger Hall of Famer Eddie Jockman and the NHL mascot Peter Puck. But I didn't know and couldn't seem to uncover why my mind constructed this worship as it did. I asked myself, what did I admire most? What was I trying to appropriate? And while I appreciated what these products or performers or artists or entertainers might stand for or might bring to me via my experience of them, I realized that it was what I was bringing to the idea of them that was important to understand. I realized that I bestow all sorts of magical and unrealistic fantasies and expectations on these things. I'm still not sure why. It seems that as a culture we are held captive by our comparisons to others and many of the people we admire or despise and the brands we collect or cringe from not only signify our beliefs but have come to define them. Still not satisfied with the results of my inner search, I put the whole exercise on pause, content with the knowledge that this silly sentimental worship, this objectification of fantasy and bestowal of what I would consider to be happiness always, maybe perfection, was neither realistic nor honorable and the origin of which continued to seem slightly out of reach. Until this past winter, I was miserably saddled with a cold that knocked me out, and I decided as I planned my exit strategy from the world to go to the market and purchase the ingredients for my grandmother's chicken soup. I decided I would cook up a big pot and I could live on it for days if need be. I stumbled into my local supermarket and unconsciously tossed all the necessary soup ingredients into my cart, and then I seemed to have what I considered to be an epiphany. I would treat myself to a bubble bath. 
sniffling and out of breath, I bounded over to the personal products aisle. And then in one powerful, provocative, and nearly painful Proustian moment, it all came back to me. My first love. My first experience with sentimental objectification. My first experience with hero worship. My first free fall into the phenomenal world of imagination and fantasy and brand. I saw him again as I saw him for the first time, the one that started it all, Mr. Bubble. As far back as I can remember, Mr. Bubble was happiness always. Before my daily encounter with him, I felt unseemly. Afterwards, I was bright and shiny. Bath time before bedtime allowed me to slide into rosy, joyful dreamland. The experience of Mr. Bubble would always, was always exactly what I anticipated. Mr. Bubble was funny and cute. He made me laugh way before Mr. Rogers, way before Barbie, way before Levi's and Lacoste. Mr. Bubble was my first love, my first celebrity, and my first brand. Historically, building a brand was rather simple. A logo was a straightforward guarantee of quality and consistency, or it was a signal that a product was something new. For that, consumers were quite rationally prepared to pay a premium. It was actually the makers of patent medicine that pioneered the use of packaged, labeled goods in the 1800s. After the Civil War, wounded men returned home in droves and bottled patent medicine was the only type of aid that was available to them. And advertising was then unregulated, and many of the patented medications carried fraudulent or trumped-up claims. This resulted in the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, the first federal law to protect the health of the public and the first to control and try and maintain truth in advertising. And if you think about it, these laws gave brands the first piece of consumer protection. And as manufacturers needed something to entice a newly educated public with more than truthful claims like, it will make you thin, it will make you rich, that no longer worked, manufacturers magically transformed into marketers. Brands were designed to indicate the product, the maker of a product, and as they initially were competing against unlabeled and non-trademark bulk merchandise, these symbols needed to simply distinguish themselves by being decorative, recognizable, and if possible, culturally popular. This is probably way more than you ever expected to learn about brands, but nevertheless, it's important to the story. So the mythology quickly grew as marketers realized that increased backstory and the subsequent merchandising that followed would sell more products and create more loyalty, allegiance, relationships, and experiences between customer and product. This was simply emotional branding in its infancy. Everyday folks began to wonder what the Morton Salt Girl was really like. Men actually called General Mills to propose to Betty Crocker. Everyone who knows me knows that I love brands. I love to analyze brands. I love to write about brands. I love to talk about brands. And I get a lot of shit for this, as if believing in brands somehow makes me a bad person, unauthentic, or a liar, a she-devil. But I hold out hope for what I believe is timeless in branding, a desire to be surrounded by the people and the pets and the artifacts that we love and the endearing characters that give us the canvas to play and to imagine. And I can rest assured, knowing that no matter how complicated life can get, there is always, always going to be a box of Mr. Bubble that will make me smile. So today, dear listeners, we are going to talk about brands 
and branding and the science of getting someone to want to buy something they might or might not need. Joining me today in what I expect will be a provocative conversation are four of the world's finest brand experts. I have on the show today Jonathan Asher, president of the New York office of Dragon Rouge, Cheryl Swanson, founder of Tonic, Rob Wallace, a partner at the design consultancy Wallace Church, and Pamela DeCesar, founder of Brand Muse. Now, if I read you all of their bios, it would take me at least one show to get through them. So I'm just going to give you very quick top lines, and if you have any other questions, you can call and ask them directly on today's show. Rob Wallace is the managing partner and strategic director of Wallace Church. He is responsible for all strategic brand imagery actions and plans and consumer research. His central function is synthesizing marketing and design direction while ensuring that Wallace Church's design direction is focused on the most actionable and sales-effective goals. Jonathan Asher, president of the New York office of Dragon Rouge, has led the consumer branding and packaging group there for several years prior to that. He was at Future Brand. Jonathan has over 20 years' experience in consumer goods marketing and has held executive positions with Unilever and the Lorillar division of Lowe's Corp. Pamela DeCesar is the founder of the newly established consulting practice Brand Muse, which is dedicated to the pursuit of brand optimization through the analysis and redefinition of key pathways and stakeholders in the design process. And most recently, Pamela was the director of global packaging resources for Kraft Foods. Prior to founding Tonic in 1999, Cheryl led several design firms to world-class status with an emotion-based visual approach to brand identity. Most recently, Cheryl was the senior vice president at Wallace Church working with Rob, where she founded their strategic branding practice. So thank you so much for coming, my wonderful and acclaimed guests. So my first question to all of you, no logo or pro logo? Rob, you first. Oh, right on the spot. Right on the spot, darling. We're, we're out of the gate fast. That's the benefit of actually being in your office, right? Well, yes. First, but I'm wondering, Deb, if we should actually um, explain um, the pet name that you and I have shared for each other for many years. Oh, no. I, I, did, I don't even know what that is. Well, Deb actually calls me Mr. Bubble. I'm not sure you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that just was no, no logo or pro logo? Yeah, yeah. No logo, pro logo. No logo from, of course, Naomi Klein's book. No logo, pro logo from the economist standpoint after the book came out. No logo, pro logo. Right over my bald head. Okay. Right, but but let me give me give me give me the backstory. Are you saying that? Are we, well, are you... Naomi Klein, I think, um, was uh, probably one of the first to come out and say that our well, that wasn't the first. Um, she's one of the most prolific in saying that um, logos uh, in our society are causing you know a tremendous tremendous downfall of aesthetic. Um, Pro Logo came out and said, hey, logos give consumers choice. Choice is good. Choice is democratic. Choice is something that is necessary. So essentially I'm asking, do you believe that logos and brands are good for society or are logos and brands bad for society? Uh, And you have one minute to answer that question before we have to go to break. Tough guy, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm bossy on the radio. Yeah, I, I understand the logo meaning a brand, and absolutely, I would, I would be on the pro side of a brand and uh, defining an experience and giving the experience a little 
emotional content so that the consumer can decide how to engage or not engage. I don't think uh, expressing a experience is forcing a consumer to have that experience. So just like there's uh, dials on a TV or a radio, you can switch them around if you don't like it. I don't think uh, the infusion of brands or the proliferation of brands has been at all a negative thing. Okay. Well, I think we have about 30 seconds left before the break, so I'm going to ask my three other guests just to answer either no logo or pro logo, and then we're going to come back after the break and explore why. Cheryl, what about you? Pro logo. Jonathan? got to say I'm for it. And Mr. Caesar? Pro. Okay. Well, guests, listeners, we are on Design Matters with Debbie Millman on the Voice America Business Network. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are four of the most accomplished brand consultants working today, Cheryl Swanson, Rob Wallace, Jonathan Asher, and Pamela DeCesar. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Rob Wallace. My partners and I run one of the country's premier brand identity and packaging design consultancies, Wallace Church. And if you're like me, you've already become an avid fan of the program that you're listening to, Design Matters. And if you're like me, you want more. You want a deeper dive into some of the strategic and creative issues that have inspired design and affect consumer buying behavior. You want to engage the speakers on a one-to-one basis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are in luck. Through the Institute of International Research, a three-day conference is being held in Manhattan's Grand Dom on April 18th through 20th. The conference name is Fuse, and its focus is on the synergy of brand strategy, design, and performance. It promises to be the year's most informative brand identity industry event. Debbie Millman of Design Matters will join Cheryl Swanson to host an elite group of brand identity thought leaders from the marketing, design, and consumer insights worlds. You'll hear from Mary Ann Pesch, the president of Gillette Company's personal care division, on the identity strategies that have shaped some of the most successful world brand launches. Design Matters guests Professor Grant McCracken will analyze the cultural trends that affect consumer interactions with brands. Stanley Hainsworth, global creative director of Starbucks, will be sharing the critical role that design played in the success of that brand phenom, and I will be moderating a panel of corporate design leaders from Nestle, Unilever Foods, Sharing Plow, and the retailer CVS, where you can directly engage them with your questions. This event is dedicated to delivering the most forward-thinking and inspirational as well as real-world and actionable criteria into how you can optimize brand identity in your organization. It is simply not to be missed. For more information, call 888-670-8200. That's 888-670-8200. Or visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD for brand identity package design. Again, www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD. Mention Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. I look most forward to meeting you on April 18th at the Plaza here in New York City. One aspect of the American dream is a safe and decent place to live that fits within each person's full capabilities. Based on the individual and the community, home has very many different meanings. Discussion on housing issues. Log on and listen to Let's Talk Affordable Housing with Ginger McClure every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on the bottom line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. 
Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back, listeners. It is 317 Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are four of the most accomplished brand consultants working today, Cheryl Swanson, the founder of Tonic, Rob Wallace, a partner at Wallace Church, Pamela DeCesar, founder of Brand Muse, and Jonathan Asher, president of the New York office of Dragon Rouge. If you'd like to join our conversation or have a question for either of us, or any of us, rather, please call 1-866-233-7861. Before the break, I was giving Rob Wallace a hard time about no logo versus pro logo, and we're going to continue onward. Um, but I'd like to address this question, actually, to Cheryl. Um, Cheryl, why are brands so important to people now? When did this cultural shift really take shape? Brands are important to people now because they represent more than just a a commercial transaction. They represent our aspirations. They represent our personal stories. They represent inspiration. They represent the various tribes in our culture. And all of this started becoming extremely important in really the 90s, very recently, though brands have been with us for about 100 years. It was in the 90s that our lives became very fast, and we started losing touch with our own stories and our own collective reconnaissance, if you will. So brands really kind of remind us that we're human. They remind us who we are, and it's an extremely important mission now that we really have no time to breathe, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean when you say that they remind us that we're human. They basically are an amalgam of our stories. They... uh, they reflect our aspirations, our hopes, our dreams. They tell us um, they tell us about ourselves in terms of what we like to do, what we like to partake in, what um, what gives us pleasure, what inspires us. So, in that regard, when we're basically living our lives at the speed of technology now, they remind us of our biological rhythms. They remind us that we're human, in short. Mm-hmm. Pam, I have a question for you as somebody that's worked, worked at Kraft for many, many years and worked on all of their coffee businesses. Why would people spend $4 for a cup of Starbucks coffee when you can get a hot cup of coffee at a 7-Eleven for less than a dollar or make it in your own kitchen for probably less than a quarter? I think it's because people feel they're getting an experience and brands are experiences to us as well. So... Rather than go to a 7-Eleven and have coffee that we know may not be fresh or good, we can go to Starbucks and the environment is relaxing and nurturing. We might meet someone we know. We might get a snack and uh, have a delicious cup of coffee. And people are spending lots of money every week on doing that because it makes them feel like they're taking a time out and they're giving themselves a treat. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, the relatively new companies, companies like eBay or Google or and, and including Starbucks. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to address this question to you. How, how do you think that they made such a big difference in our current culture? How did they become brands, at, you know, at the speed of light, so to speak? Well, you know, some of the, the brands you mentioned, you know, obviously have um, the added bit about being technologically oriented and, and being part of the Internet. 
um, and you know by definition that's that's pretty fast moving um, and I think the uh, the rapid spread throughout society around the world actually um, is in part fueled by having that internet uh, vehicle to uh, to make it uh, spread around the world. But I think beyond that, you know, if you, if you include a Starbucks and, and other brands, other companies that are new, I think part of it is, is that, um, you know, people are looking for new things, things that are interesting, things that are different, variety-seeking. People, people tend to get bored very quickly these days. And so having something new and different and exciting um, is, is something that will take hold more rapidly than maybe it would have in the past when people were very much uh, wanting to just stay with what they knew and be comfortable with, you know, the tried and true. Jonathan, why do you think that uh, consumers are so quickly getting bored these days, so much faster than they used to be? Um, in in part, it's you know, it's a vicious cycle. In part, because there is so much rapid change, um, technology makes it very easy to make changes quickly. You know, you look at what you can create on the computer today. Um, in five minutes, you used to have to go out to an outside professional and spend a lot of money and wait for a long period of time to get. Um, so it's, it's the availability and, and the possibility that technology makes it so, and so then people become accustomed to that. And it's a much more visual world that we live in, and um, you know people are, are moving around a lot more. Um, so it, it's something that is both of interest and need and also the ability to do so. Cheryl, do you think as a culture we're collectively suffering from attention deficit disorder? A badge disease. <laughs> yes. We talked about that on, on the last show. We ADD, were yes, yes. ADD is, um, is, is, uh, is widespread certainly right now. I don't know that we all are, but I, I, I do know that it, it's um, more prevalent with adults and children than, um, than ever before in human history that at least the last statistics I saw were 25% um, of kids, the equal, an equal amount of adults were suffering from um, low attention span or not being able to focus. And can it's I, primarily because we have so many inputs just flying at us on a daily basis. Can I ask a question? Of course you can, Pam. I, I, I feel as though for, for as much... We are so, you know, we're, there's so many different things that we're seeing all the time and, and we're challenged and we're, our attention is challenged all the time. But I think at the same time, many people have these tremendous uh, loyalties or obsessions with particular things. So it, it's kind of this, there's a, there's a pendulum there. So for many, many things, we don't have attention, but there's usually one thing that we're obsessed with. So like whether give it's us golf. an example. Well, you know, people work and they're traveling, they're doing all these things, and then, but golf becomes their, their sort of their counter life. Their, mm. And, you know, that's what they do. That's what they're thinking about. That's what they make time for. That's what they spend their money on. So I don't know. I, I feel as if for all that we have attention deficit of, many, many things, we usually have one thing that we're obsessed with at the same time. It kind of balances it out. So ADD to OCD. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cheryl, don't you also feel that it works almost in the opposite way as well in the the fast pace that we're living, that brands kind of hearken us back, almost like Debbie's experience with Mr. Bubble, that that you have these brands as almost touchstones of, of experiences that you can always go back to and they're always the same? 
Well, that, that's part of the story, and that's part of, I think, uh, Debbie's example up front was perfect in that it does um, remind us of our childhoods. Mm-hmm. It reminds us of simpler times. Uh, brands have that power to evoke really powerful memories and evoke emotion states even in, in the present that uh, may not be reminiscent but are actually creating an envelope, if you will, or a bubble, uh, mm-hmm. no pun intended, to be, um, to be safe, sort of a safe zone or a, a, a zone of happiness. Mm, happiness zone, I like that. Yeah. Why do you think, uh, and I, I don't think I'm alone in, in perceiving this about being a brand consultant, um, why do you feel that designers and um, the public often have quite a lot of discomfort about what it is that we do? Um, I was really struck um, I guess it was about three weeks ago when Milton Glaser was on the uh, show talking about his 12 steps to hell. And his very first step to hell is one that I know all four of us have taken, which is essentially making a package look better than it necessarily is, the product inside. Um, how do you feel about what it is that is um, this perception of, of what we all do in our society today. Rob, you want to start? I, I, have, a, I have to, you know, I, I love Uncle Milty. He's one of my heroes, but I have to take, I have to, to challenge him on that. I think that's pretty much our goal. Um, if you were working in the analgesics category and made the, the product feel like it was going to make you, or seem like it was going to make you feel better faster, and it makes you feel better faster because you think it's going to, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. If the pizza looks more luscious on the outside than it actually bakes up to be, that's one issue. But if the perception of the brand experience can be elevated and then the the product can deliver on that because of the brand identity, because of the packaging, or certainly being contributed by that, I don't don't think that's a problem for me. How do you guys feel? I I think what what perhaps uh, Glazer was saying is that oftentimes it – if the product it, that can't live up to that, then then we're creating a problem. Then we're doing something that's a terrible thing. Well, I don't think that what I'm referring to is about the efficacy of an analgesic. What I'm actually talking about is the perception that having a certain brand in your hand is going to create a persona that you may or may not have, believe in, or be able to live up to. For example, if I were to pour a glass of Aquafina and put it next to a glass of Absolute Vodka, you wouldn't necessarily know what they are in terms of what one is an alcohol, one is a water, until you actually tasted it. Or I could go a step further and say, take that glass of Aquafina and put it next to a glass of Poland Spring. When you're looking at these brands, they're going to look exactly the same. It's once you put them into the package right. that they change, right. and once you advertise them that they change, sure. what we you know, proudly and romantically call branding, sure. which what other people will say are actually just lies and deception. So this is really what I'd like to talk about. We are very close to having to go to a break, so I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business, and when we come back from our break, we are going to talk about branding and deception, partners or not. Um, Debbie Millman and my guest today are four of the most accomplished brand consultants working, Cheryl Swanson, Rob Wallace, Pamela DeCesar, and Jonathan Asher. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. It should be pretty good, so don't go away. 
You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Good afternoon. I'm Pamela DeCesar of Brand Muse, and I'm excited to talk with you about the upcoming Brand Identity and Package Design Conference in April in New York City. I've been involved in this event for a number of years and love the yearly discussions that examine marketing, design, research, and production trends and get to the heart of the most pressing issues facing us in the industry today. Discover the reality of design in corporate America and the paradox of packaging. Design gurus Bruce Mao and John Maida, along with brand leaders from Gillette, General Mills, and MTV, will go in-depth into the most pressing issues we face and will deliver cutting-edge ideas that demonstrate brand growth and bottom-line impact through innovative strategy and design. Highlights this year include a dynamic multi-speaker symposium focused on capturing the global market, more speakers and sessions than ever before, Two new interactive workshops on making better color choices and breaking out of the box to achieve packaging innovation. A panel discussion on how two functions, creative and research, can work together effectively. Plus a cocktail party to connect and network with colleagues and friends. For more information, call 888-670-8200 or visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD or email register at IIRUSA.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. So right to the challenge. Consider this conference an investment in your brand's future. Clear your calendar and prepare to walk away with inspiration, insight, and creative new ideas to implement when you return to the office. So see you in the Big Apple at the Plaza, April 18th through the 20th. Join Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. for The Last Word. When you listen to The Last Word, you won't feel as though you're getting a root canal without anesthetic. And you'll leave every show with tips about how to write so you can get more promotions, make more money, and go home early. Learn how to add persuasive power to everything you write, from email to sales proposals, and get the praise and respect you deserve. So tune in and call in to The Last Word with Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk. Voice America Business. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and 
And my lovely guests today are four of the most accomplished brand consultants working today. Cheryl Swanson, the founder of Tonic, Rob Wallace, a partner at Wallace Church, Pamela DeCesar, founder of Brand Muse, and Jonathan Asher, president of the New York office of Dragon Rouge. I just love saying that, Jonathan. It's so elegant and, and lovely and swingy. Well, I'm going to ask... My, having taken Spanish throughout uh, my New York City public school education, you say it a whole lot better. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> I've been practicing. Um, before we get back to our questions about branding and deception, um, we have a caller. Mark from New York, you're on Design Matters. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thanks I have calling. a quick question for you. Um, I'm a big advocate of branding, and I wanted to know what your thoughts were with regards to traditional advertising and whether or not you think branding and the branding experiences will eventually take over and traditional advertising will become obsolete. Oh, great question. Do you have a, do you have a particular guest you'd like to address that question to? Um, whomever. I'm, I'm actually, uh, no. Whoever's willing to Who wants to take it, guys? I actually cut my teeth in advertising. That was where I began my career at Gray. And it was um, in the 80s, and advertising was still the king. And ever since then, the last 25 years, um, the transformations in even in executive marketing management, going away from advertising being the be-all and end-all, and really looking at brand identity being the, the, the touch point, the, the key communication element, particularly for fast-moving brands that are sold in supermarkets and, and drugstores and so forth, where... Uh, the decisions are being made at the point of sale. Um, so brand identity and brand perception at retail has really started to surpass advertising's impact, uh, certainly on sales and, and, and efficacy. Do you guys feel the same way? I do, actually. I saw a, a really extraordinary presentation several weeks ago by Elliot Young, who is the founder of Perception Research. Uh, and he was talking about how years and years ago, putting an ad on television would guarantee that you would reach approximately 70% of your audience, so to speak. Um, that today, that same ad on television is maybe, if you're lucky, reaching 2 to 3% of your audience. And actually, it's only really your package on shelf that is going to be able to touch 100% of your audience. So I do think that as media grows, as we segment into uh, various forms of media, whatever it be, whether it be the Internet, whether it be cell phones, that ultimately what is in the face of the consumer, the face of the audience, is going to be what they notice. And if it's not in front and center, that essentially they're not going to be able to even assess what it is because it's not going to be in the realm of their universe. Does that answer your question, Mark? Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. There's a there's a great article in the New Yorker. It's the March 28th issue. It's called The New Pitch. Oh. It's about Linda Kaplan Thaler. Yes, yes. A it's number of fabulous. people have forwarded that yeah, to me. Yeah, it's a great article talking about just this, this topic. When, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your feelings about that are, Pam? Well, it's... It, it says in 1965, as you said, advertisers could reach 80% of their most coveted viewers. And now it would take 125 CBS, NBC, and ABC ads to reach the percentage of viewers that the three network ads, uh, that the three network ads once reached. Yeah. And they're talking about advertising going into a lot of direct marketing and promotion to try to reach 
the consumer because they're just not there to reach in the old in the old way of uh, of, of advertising. And they they are redefining. However, I don't think advertising is going to go away. I, I do think that they're going to redefine. They're doing um, advertising in movie theaters. They're doing advertising online. They're doing you know just new venues now for um, enhanced visual and brand presence, but I don't yes. think it's ever going to um, go away. And I do think broadcast is here to stay. Well, I do think that it's going to be more subtle and m- some may say more heinous in terms of product placement on telev- in television shows, right. in movies, yep. logos on T-shirts, on celebrities, and yep. so forth. I mean, I think Tiger Woods has gotten $100 million from Nike for just wearing the logo while he's playing golf. And then I think you know that... That's divided then by do you wear the hat, do you wear the shirt, do you have it on your back, do you have right. it on the ball, do you have it on your shoes? Right. And one is, an, is, is more money. Yeah. And then it brings us back to the whole no logo or pro logo. Exactly. When is it too many logos? When is well, it just- and I think that is why ultimately that people would can think, and I think it's a fairly reasonable consideration, that branding is inherently deceptive because you're then placing a persona, a personality, a point of view of something into something else. You're saying, if you wear these sneakers, you can just do it. If you smoke this cigarette, you will be alive with pleasure. If you do this and consume this, you will then become that person. Why do so many people want to wear diesel jeans instead of Levi's jeans now? Do you really think it's about the quality of the dungarees or is it about the backstory or the personality or the inherent qualities that people well, believe are going to um, it's going to allow them to, to, to be? But look, can, can we also take an, a, a different view of that and saying you're joining a community of other like-minded people? I mean, as an Apple enthusiast, I'm proud to see an Apple on your desktop and I would be proud to walk into uh, a business environment and see apples on other people's desks and say, we're in, we're cool, we okay, get so it, then, it that's, You're making my point thing. for me because you are essentially then saying that you're among these like-minded people that are making you feel good about being you. Sure. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's pretty good for me. I'm not sure about <laughs> well, you guys, but I like that. I think, the I think tribe thing. It's very much the I tribe. I like the tribe. <laughs> but but it's, also, it's also about choice. It's about providing choice. It's about communicating choice, clarification of choice. And I think in this country, we like the idea of choice. We like that people have choices and can can pick and choose. So, you know, it's also how you define what's good. I mean, the the diesel jeans or anything that, you know, is sort of premium, high quality. Well, for some people, that's the club they want to belong to or the tribe. Um, for other people, that would be the exact signal to suggest I'm going as fast as I can, as far as I can in the complete other direction because, yeah, I'm going to wear the Levi jeans because I'm, you know, uh, more down to earth and I'm sure. not into Or it's percent. cool to be uncool now. Ex- exactly. But it's about also having that shorthand for what those product attributes are or even if it is simply about personality differences because the products are all the same in some categories. Exactly. And, and, you know, I'm just wanting to make a statement about myself based on which one I'm getting, that, yes, I can afford this, or, you know what, I'm too smart to pay that much money. It's either or, but it's about choice. Well, then there is something in the middle there, though, Jonathan, and that is what about the, you know, you might be, 
you might have money to be able to buy something and then have that as a signal to other people in that tribe that you are part of this tribe because you all have this money right. to buy it, or you don't, or you buy a fake and pretend that you're in that little universe. Sure. And there is quite a lot of that going on now as well. Look, every time we get up and get out of bed, we put on clothes, right? And that clothes, those clothing, that, that stuff says something about who you are and what you do and how you want the world to, per, to perceive you. And, and to borrow Cheryl's term, bad, brands do that in kind of a badge status. It doesn't necessarily have to be an elitist way. Can it also be a comforting and conforming and perfectly acceptable and good way? We have a caller, Amanda from Ohio. You're on Design Matters. Hello. Amanda. Hi, welcome to Design Matters. Hi, I have a question for you and the speakers. Okay. Um, I know that you're going to be discussing the branding versus deception and branding and deception in partners or not. And as a design manager for a food company, I was wondering if any of you have any tips to design managers in corporate America and also what your role is in how we can push the envelope a little bit more with our packaging without getting into being deceptive. For instance, um, a lot of our consumers, are obviously all of us, are having a tough time trying to balance work and parenthood, and by the time you get to the aisles, it's really our job to get that food out in the open and really focus on the food presentation. But when do we go too far, and how can we guide our marketers to tell them that we're just basically trying to deliver on a visually and experiential brand experience. So I was just wondering if any of you have any tips for the design managers in our role of pushing those designs that you all do so well, the ones that are maybe a little bit more further out in the range. Well, we have Pamela DeCesar on our panel today, and Pamela was the former director of global packaging at Kraft. Um, what I would like to do, actually, is take a short break um, for our wonderful sponsors, and when we come back, I'd like to, uh, Amanda, I'd like you to stay on the line with us, Great. and we will have uh, Pamela start uh, answering your question. Um, so I'd like to let our listeners know that this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are four of the most wonderful brand consultants working today, uh, Cheryl Swanson, founder of Tonic, Rob Wallace, a partner at Wallace Church, Pamela DeCesar, founder of Brand Muse, and Jonathan Asher, president of the New York office of Dragon Rouge. We have Amanda on the line with a very provocative question, and we will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is Cheryl Swanson from Tonic. I'm going to be chairing the upcoming brand identity and package design event April 18th through 20th at the Plaza Hotel with Debbie Millman. Debbie and I have been co-chairing this event together for many years, and this year will be the biggest event of its history. We love this conference because it integrates marketing, design, research, and production issues. You'll learn from more than 45 design and marketing leaders about paths to success and pitfalls to avoid. Join Gillette, MTV, Starbucks, 
General Mills, P&G Beauty, Dell, the Clorox Company, Master Foods, Estee Lauder, Dial, Microsoft, Hallmark Cards, Unilever, CVS, Nestle, Coors, and Texas Instruments at the event of the year. Go in-depth on the topics most important to you. Enjoy candid conversations, catch up with old friends, and meet new colleagues at the plaza. Gain usable insights from thought leaders like Marianne Pesch, President of Personal Care at Gillette, John Maida from MIT, Stanley Hainsworth, Global Creative Director at Starbucks, Bruce Mao, Stefan Sagmeister, and lots of other visionaries. For more information, call 1-888-670-8200 or visit www.iirusa.com backslash B-I-P-D, or email register at IIRUSA.com. Mention Design Matters, and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Looking forward to seeing you April 18th at the Plaza in New York City. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Join Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. for The Last Word. When you listen to The Last Word, you won't feel as though you're getting a root canal without anesthetic. And you'll leave every show with tips about how to write so you can get more promotions, make more money, and go home early. Learn how to add persuasive power to everything you write, from email to sales proposals, and get the praise and respect you deserve. So tune in and call in to The Last Word with Jane Curry and Diana Young every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk. Voice America Business. Win with effective marketing. Win with proper positioning and branding. Win with Dick McDonald on his show, Win Win Marketing for Buyers and Sellers, every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, we will discuss the challenges and common mistakes made in today's industry while providing you insight on what you can do to avoid these pitfalls. Get ahead with effective marketing in today's world. Listen to Win-Win Marketing for Sellers and Buyers with Dick McDonald. Heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on the bottom line of business, businessamericaradio.com. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 347, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. We were in the middle of a fairly rigorous and somewhat robust conversation with Rob Wallace from Wallace Church, Jonathan Asher, President of the New York Office of Dragon Rouge, Cheryl Swanson, founder of Tonic, and Pamela DeCesar, founder of Brand Muse. And we are joined by Amanda from Ohio, who had a question that I thought would be well answered by Pam DeCesar. Amanda, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Oh, great. Would you mind asking the question again? Sure. Um, I was just, I heard that you were going to be talking about branding and uh, deception and 
partners or not, and that's something that's very close to my heart as a design manager in a food company. And I'm wondering as um, if there are any tips from any of you, since you've all been doing this for so many years, are there any tips in in regards to how the in-house design manager as a liaison between the marketers and yourselves as the brand consultants to kind of push them more towards those more visually and experiential brand designs that are more about the brand essence without going too far. So, for instance, when we're trying to balance work and parenthood and you're running into the grocery store and there are all these foods in front of you, the package that's going to focus on food presentation and maybe it's cheating up just slightly a little bit, how do you feel about that? Is it you want to going start too with far with or one? is it something that it's okay to do to get out in front of the, the competition? Uh, well, if I take an experience just off the top of my head, I would think about Jell-O, which we redesigned the last couple of years, and actually Cheryl did the strategy work on it. And it was really about getting to the essence of that brand, which was about being delightful. And we needed to figure out how to represent that product in a teeny tiny package in a way that was evocative of the essence and of the brand experience. And we used great photography, and we came up with a wonderful way of doing that presentation Um I, I, I think it all gets back to essence, and I, it's not cheating. It's not um, being deceptive about the product. It's showing it in its best light because in the second or so that someone's going to walk down the aisle, you need to communicate what that experience is going to be like. I co-agree. I think essence captures not only the functional product experience but the emotional, experiential sensorial part of a brand, and in no way, shape, or form is that deceptive. Rather, it's storytelling in a very clear, concise way that allows a frazzled mom who's got kids hanging off her arm to understand the differences and the appeal of um, each brand on the shelf. I, I, I agree. It's just we're always up against this. That's a little bit bigger, but, you know, the cereal foods are doing it. They'll bring the spoon way up, so maybe if we just were putting a little bit of copy on there to say food larger than actual size or I don't know. I think what happens is everyone in the process in creating a package in the, in the corporate environment ha- wants to put their mark on it and there's competing things. You've got regulatory compliance is telling you certain things have to be certain sizes. You've got people running promotions and they want their message loud and clear. So it's really about getting a team to focus on What's the real message and what's the real takeaway you want your consumers to have and how do you keep it as simple as possible because the last thing you want them to come away with is this feeling of congestion and a mess on shelf and they're trying to figure out, you know, what your message is because there's so many things you're trying to say. So that's also, the opposite of making it easy. <laughs> if I can interrupt, it's size is an Size is not the only thing that matters, contrary to popular belief. So, Damn. You know, so, yeah, I know. Seriously. But it, it's all about really, and that's why essence is important. It's not the bigger, you know, spoon of cereal with the, you know, fabulous glaze on the whatever. It, it's really about um, the personality and the deeper personality of the brand, and that's the thing that creates distinction and, and quote, unquote, unquote, that dreaded I-word impact mm. on shelf, you know, and distinction. Yeah. 
And it's back to what I think Rob was saying earlier. If the product delivers, then that's just the perfect yeah. Well, if you could deliver on that promise, how many brands actually do that? So that's the sort of but, big question I think that people have for us when they find out what it is we do. Even if I can go beyond that, even if the product doesn't deliver on that premise but the experience does, quite honestly, I'm not a huge Starbucks lover of the product, but I love the Starbucks experience. That's worth $4 for me to go have that experience where the actual product to me, if you gave them, given me that product in 7-Eleven, I'd rather have the $1.29 product. Good. But do you really expect that big pull of cheese when you you make a frozen pizza at home? Like, sure, you can't. You can't. There's no marbles in the soup anymore, like there used to be years ago, exactly. right? You can't. You can't over exaggerate that process. But you know, enlarge to show texture. That's absolutely fine with me. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you can design great packaging, and and all the packaging can do, you know, beyond create essence and imagery and everything else. But in terms of product experience, it can get trial. People will buy once because they've been drawn in by the package. For the repeat purchase, it's about their product experience. Exactly. So if they're, if they're hugely disappointed, then they probably won't come back again. So there is sort of a built-in, uh, you know, safety against against overpromise by too much mm-hmm. because then you don't get the repeat and you can't sustain a business just on trial alone. Absolutely. And that's the ultimate failure of a package, I would think. And they get people to try it and nobody comes back. Oh, yeah. And I think that all of us are designers. And, and you, know, you cut us, we bleed design. But primarily we're brand strategists, right? I mean, it's, about, it's like a visual shorthand of a product positioning. So it's got to begin with the marketer's understanding. This is exactly where we want the experience to be. This is the, this is the place in the marketplace that makes most sense for our brand to live being just different and distinctive from maybe all the other super premium brands out there. Mm, and actually, many times, I'm sure that Debbie's been in the same place, you're designing to hit a specific uh, experience, which is not always the highest experience, right? But it's the most distinctive in the marketplace. Reminds me a little bit of um, a quote that I, I love from Jonathan Bond, uh, Kirschenbaum Bond, and he says, Consumers are like roaches. We spray them with marketing, and for a time it works. Then inevitably they develop an immunity, a resistance. And I, I think that was quite quite telling, not only of, of what we think of consumers, but how we believe they behave, and, and that's, that part of it is a little bit scary for me. Um, Amanda, thank you very much. We have another caller thank on the you. line, Joe from New York. Welcome to Design Matters. I guess not. Joe is not there. Well, I'd like to go back to uh, asking questions. Oh, Joe hung up. That's why he wasn't on the line. I guess he didn't want to wait. Um, let's talk a little bit more about... Uh, are the brands that we're working on. I'd love to hear uh, if you would like to share some of the things that you're currently working on or currently um, thinking about. Rob, you first. Oh, boy, I think about stuff all the time. I'm trying to remember which things I can talk about, which things we can't yeah, talk about. Yeah, a lot about, of confidentiality right? and what it is we right. do. Um, I think what we're trying to do as, a, as an industry is, is overriding the project is really the process and elevating the process in the executive manager's mind to talk not about pretty pictures and about a beauty contest, but literally about driving value for the brand. The best brand identities are those that return the highest level of investment. Mm. And so changing the language of what we do, instead of falling in love with pretty pictures, falling in love with experiences that drive consumer value that we'll pay more for, more profitable for the, co- the company, is the way all of us sh- should be talking and behaving, I believe. Thank you, Rob. That was well said. Um, unless anybody else would like to share the highly confidential work that they're currently working on, I'd like to uh, move to our one of our show's weekly features, the Pop Culture Quiz, because I've gotten several irate 
letters from listeners asking why we don't always do it. And they've been listening the whole show, and then they don't get their pop culture quiz. So unless anybody wants to add anything else, let's let's move to that. Am I am I okay with my guess? No, no, that? no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's do girl, boy, girl, boy. Cheryl, Rob, Pam, Jonathan. Favorite brand? Apple. Uh, ditto. Pam. Oh, oh gosh, it's too hard. Um, a Kate Spade. Okay, Jonathan. M&M's. Nice. Are you working on the redesign? <laughs> Don't answer that question. <laughs> Lee's favorite brand. Same order. Cher? Lee's favorite brand is Iron Man Power Bars in with pink <laughs> logo. Don't get it. It's totally confusing. Okay, Rob. I, I, and this is gonna be hard. I don't have a least favorite brands because if they're, they're they're just products, if they're not brands. So anything that's uh, a product not a brand, I hate. Okay, Pamela. Tide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not making Procter and Gamble very happy right now, I but know, I don't know that they're listening. Sorry. <laughs> and Jonathan. Um, Atkins. Oh, why is that? Oh, I don't know. The the mix, uh, too many mixed messages about okay. what that is, and you know, short lived, sad, had potential. Um, uh, I think fifteen pounds. Long, complicated story. Okay, well, I'd like a sidebar on that one. All right, this is probably more for the girls than the boys. Tom Ford, good decision or bad? Cher, went to go to Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. B A D. Why? Well, what's he got, what, what clothes am I going to now get to buy? <laughs> Jill Sander. Oh, no, she's gone too. Uh, Pam, what about you? What do you I think? think? It's, I think it's fantastic. I really do. Okay. We'll talk offline, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Boys want to add? I can't go to anyway in the last year, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm just sort of trying to figure out paper and plastic. I don't know where you guys get all this information from. I swear to God. Boxes or briefs. Give me that kind of, you know, can we start there, please? Well, I, I my my producer is signaling that it's time to shut down. So I'd like to let everybody know we've come to an end of our tenth broadcast. I'd like to thank my guests, Cheryl Swanson, Rob Wallace, Pamela DeCesar, and Jonathan Asher. I couldn't be doing this without the kind and patient people at Voice America Business, Denise, Chris, Lori. Dion and my executive producer, Brian Travis. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling, especially my producer at Sterling, Lisa Grant, without whom nothing would be possible. Join me next week as I welcome the most magnificent Michael Beirut. I'd also like to thank the Institute of International Research for sponsoring these last shows. Thank you for listening, dear listeners, and see you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.